This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you could have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. It's three o'clock somewhere. Time for a My Mochi ice cream snack. My Mochi ice cream is cool, creamy scoops of premium ice cream wrapped in sweet, pillowy dough. And get this. All of My Mochi's fabulous flavors like strawberry, mango, double chocolate, and cookies and cream are only around 80 calories per piece. Talk about a guilt-free, indulgent experience. Each box of My Mochi ice cream has six perfectly portioned, gluten-free mochis that are great for grab-and-go. So feel good while curbing your afternoon cravings or the midnight munchies. Yeah, you know who you are with the joyfully chill sensation of My Mochi ice cream. Find My Mochi ice cream at Target or visit MyMochi.com to locate a grocery store near you. This is the Holiday Special from the CBS Audio Network. I'm Gil Gross. Here at the holidays and at year's end, entertainment, of course, is a big part of the festivities. That may be even more so this year than most because many people who are used to their homes being filled with loved ones will only have people on TV, computers, or phones for company. Plus, we need to look back at a year that in many ways may have changed entertainment for a long time coming. Zoe Ruderman is head of digital for People.com. And Zoe, just by saying that, instead of just out and saying People Magazine, I've given away one way entertainment just really changed. Yes, you're right about that. (laughs) So the move away from movie theaters, which are either closed or restricting attendance. Now Warner Brothers says they're, for the foreseeable future, going to debut movies in streaming on the same day as theaters. So are theaters going to be able to survive all this? You know, it's really tough to imagine theaters surviving and looking the way that they did a year ago. I mean, I think that news that you mentioned, which just came out, um, you know, a few weeks ago, is huge. It it also, it's going to be interesting to see how other production houses, if they follow suit. I think that, you know, we are not going to see a return to theaters. It's never going to be at the level that we saw, you know, in past years. I think even with huge movies that were typically draws around the holiday season, summer blockbusters... People are just not going to be willing to do it. But even beyond that, even, you know, in a post-vaccine, much safer world, the biggest difference is that people have gotten used to consuming big blockbuster movies at home and they're okay with it. They're realizing that it's actually more desirable and more enjoyable in some ways. And they've just, you know, what's happened over the last year is that we've created a habit of consuming blockbusters at home. There's also just the financial thing, even for people who have not been financially ill-affected by what's happened in the last year. I'm getting a month of movies for the price of one ticket for one movie, and a month of movies the whole family can watch. No babysitter needed, no $7, $8 things of popcorn. It's hard to see how theaters can compete with that. 
Absolutely. I think you're totally right. And your point about it being, you know, a family night, it's, you know, I totally hear that. I hear from so many people that even pre-COVID, this was not a sustainable way to spend a Friday night or a Saturday night. And I don't know what theater you're going to, but my popcorn costs way more than $7 at this point. So yes, this is very much a, a financial shift. And, you know, you can pay for a streaming service for a month and get access for your entire family. And by the way, you don't all have to agree on what you watch. Your kids can be upstairs watching something. You can be in one room. Your partner can be in another room. So I think it's going to save some fighting among families too. This changes the business in so many ways. 2019, we had seven movies that worldwide grossed over a billion dollars. This year, of course, not one. And one of the things I'm wondering about is the theatrical releases for years, even battling streaming, have emphasized, you know, action, big special effects, you know, 20 speakers and all of that. The streaming successes, like The Queen's Gambit, are entirely different kinds of movies, and it makes you wonder whether the Marvel and DC universes are going to matter as much. Yeah, you know, I think, you know, Disney kind of set the stage. They, you know, you mentioned all of these million dollar movies and that there is no longer such a thing as a billion dollar movie. But, you know, things like Mulan going from what was expected to be an enormous theater release with a lot of fanfare, red carpets, you know, red carpets across the world, big events, that became a Disney Plus hit. Um, and that was a really huge thing to happen. I think that, as you say, the marvels of the world are going to really start to kind of reconsider what it looks like um, and not necessarily bank on on moviegoers to theaters. And now there's other things that have happened. So you take award shows like the Emmys, for instance, and the ratings have been going down over the years. And it's not just the quality of the award show, but instead of the old days of three or four networks and everybody might have watched an episode of something, you know, increasingly there's so much TV. The Emmys come on and people go, I don't know who any of these people are, or what any of these shows are. But you saw something interesting, even though the ratings were down at people.com, it looks like the searches were up. Exactly. And it's so interesting. We've been seeing this for a few years now that award shows across the board, the ratings are down, but the interest has not waned. And I think what's interesting about that is that, as you say, people want, they care about what they care about. There's so much disparity in terms of what people watch. It used to be, you know, there were five shows that everyone rallied around. We talk a lot about this, even at the magazine. You used to be able to put a TV show on a cover of a magazine because most of the country was aware or watched that show. Now there's too much, you know, diffuse viewership. You can't do that anymore. But as you say, what we saw at People, that our traffic was way up year over year. And this is a trend that's been growing for the past few years. So people consuming content on social, so following along on Twitter, but not actually turning on their TV to watch the red carpet or the show, um, coming directly to our homepage to see what they should care about. They're sort of letting us at people.com be the ambassadors and saying, okay, you don't have to sit through a three or four or five hour show. We will make sure to alert you and all of the platforms and all the ways that we can when there's something you should care about. So if someone has a really phenomenal acceptance speech or someone you know, trips getting up on stage to accept their award, we're going to be there to tell you, hey, tune in for this moment and we're going to serve it up to you on a platter on the platform. So we're really big on going to where the user is rather than kind of inviting them to the one place where we are. Well, I think one of the differences, the award show used to be for things that had already happened. And now, you know, if it was a movie of the week or something, it, you know, you couldn't see it. It was gone. Or if it was a TV show, you had to wait several years till it got into syndication. And you were likely to have watched it. The Emmys are more like a promo because 
now because the shows are streaming. They're they're all still available, and you see shows that when they initially run, nobody pays any attention to them, and or they're at some obscure cable network. But after the Emmys, people start looking around for these shows, and the, the numbers go up because they're still available. You're totally right. And, you know, something really interesting happened specifically with Grey's Anatomy, which is on, you know, it's gazillion season at this point. They started to see a spike in people, younger people discovering their show for the first time and starting at the beginning, you know, 17 seasons ago. And because that's a show that is still in production and still happening, that's promo for them right now. And that potentially could extend their lifespan as opposed to a show like Friends, which, you know, like the door has been closed on that show or so we all think for now. Um, And yes, people might consume and rediscover that, but it's not changing what the future production would look like. And I think you raise a really good point about the Emmys that this isn't just a look back. It's, you know, it's very rooted in the present and the future for those shows. Okay. So as we talk about some of the top shows and kind of clue people in on some of the things you think may be worth watching that people haven't seen, it also brings up the idea that people are going to watch very famous shows differently. Case in point, Better Call Saul. If you have not ever watched Breaking Bad, you could watch Better Call Saul, which is a prequel, first and then watch Breaking Bad, which is a completely different kind of experience because these shows are always available. You know, I'll tell you, even beyond that, my parents just told me that they're watching Better Call Saul. They didn't even know the show Breaking Bad. I don't know what that says about the parents of someone who works in pop culture. But yes, you're totally right there. You can consume these in totally different ways. So what are some of the top shows that people may have missed that they they should be searching for? Yeah, absolutely. So I think, you know, very top of mind for a lot of people right now, The Crown. There's been a lot of hype around this season in particular because it's the first time we see Princess Diana. It's the first time we see William and Harry start to make an appearance. It's um, a little bit soapier and juicier than some of the previous seasons. Um, Other big ones that made a splash, you know, the show Cheer, I think that feels, you know, it's 11 months ago at this point. It feels like 11 years ago. That was in January of this year. There was a moment when that was, you know, it dominated the cultural conversation. Everyone was watching that on Netflix. And I think it really kicked off this docu-series trend. Um, We saw that with The Vow, um, which was about the Nixium cult. Um, And then sort of at the other end of the spectrum, much lighter content. So What We Do in the Shadows, which is a little bit of a sleeper hit um, on FX, um, a a comedic vampire series, if anyone can believe that. Um, And then much darker and sort of cerebral shows like I May Destroy You with Michaela Cole on HBO. And I think what's so interesting about consumption is that people were really here for everything. You know, at the beginning of COVID, we saw that people wanted a distraction. Then we saw this wave of people wanting to consume content that was a little bit more serious, um, you know, docu-series. And people have come back around. So we're seeing these waves of what people are into. And of course, they're mixing content. People are watching more streaming and more TV than they ever have before. Um, I believe starting in the second quarter of this year, um, you know, just more hours a day and the the demand is really it's there for all of these shows to be created zoe ruderman is head of digital for people.com where you can keep up on what's increasingly become a hard to keep up with entertainment world zoe thank you for being with us thank you so much you're listening to a holiday special from the cbs audio network This is the Holiday Special from the CBS Audio Network. I'm Gil Gross. 
This is the time of year, not just for Christmas, but Hanukkah as well. It is a joyous Jewish holiday, marking events from 165 B.C. And yet, unlike Christmas, its songs are mainly known to Jewish people who celebrate it. Despite the fact, and here's your religious bar bet winner, the only mention of Hanukkah in any scripture is in the New Testament, where it mentions in John that Jesus went to celebrate the Feast of Dedication in Jerusalem, and it was winter. Hanukkah means dedication. It's a winter holiday. There you go. And yet, despite that shared history, the closest most Christians know to a song that has anything of Hanukkah in it is Don McLean's Dreidel, which absolutely has nothing to do with the holiday whatsoever. That is where the a cappella group 613 comes to the rescue with things like this. Kindle the lights, remember the Mike Boxer is a founder of 613. Mike, how'd the group get started? Uh, we were a bunch of young upstart college students uh, in Binghamton, New York, uh, who sang a cappella in college like uh, a lot of people were doing at the time. And when we graduated, we no longer had this Jewish or uh, musical outlet. And we decided we needed to do something about that. So we we had a go of it in the professional world. Uh, we found a couple of friends to round out the, the sextet was history from there. The reaction is really interesting. I played the Hanukkah parody that you did of Queen's Bohemian Rhapsody for a Chabad rabbi friend of mine, and I know he knows almost nothing of contemporary music, so I wondered how he'd react. He thought it was the greatest thing he had ever heard in his life, and then I asked him if he had ever heard of Queen. He had no idea who they were, but it still worked. Well, you know, when when you have great source material, you know, you've already got a leg up on, on things. It's once in a lifetime that a composition like that comes along. So we were ready to take on that challenge. And it kind of, you know, obviously it stands on its own. What kind of reaction, though, have you gotten from religious people? Because I know some are amazed, amused, uh, you know, love it. And I would imagine some were probably like my friend going, I, I, I don't understand. Well, you know, there are a lot of different people. Uh, in the world, <laughs> religiously speaking, at the beginning, you know, there are actually some some very very conservative folks. Um, you, you know, you might even call them fringe, who um, are of the philosophy that the religious and the secular slash profane should never mix. And um, you know, we got a couple of complaints here and there, but those have been vastly outshadowed by a scale of ten thousand to one by people who are either telling us it was so entertaining. I really loved it. I learned something. And, you know, that's the best part. You know, this really bridged a gap for me because, uh, you know, as you were alluding to earlier on, there's no there's nothing to latch on to. There's um, you know, there aren't you know, you don't have your pick of famous people doing Hanukkah songs. So, you know, we gave them something there. And, you know, people who were a small number of Jews in a community who, you know, had really no one or nothing to relate to and said, wow, this was this was great because, um, you know, it brought to brought two really cool things together for me. And I feel more comfortable being a Jew. Um, I feel more joyful being a Jew. Um, and and that's the best kind of reward. You even played the White House back when Obama was president. We did play the White House when Obama was president. Um, and it was possibly the most surreal experience of my entire life. Outstanding musical guest, 613, who just did a amazing performance for Michelle and I of a... a Hamilton remix 
the, the most surreal part of it is uh, when you are a foot and a half from Barack Obama, who is shaking your hand. It's almost like, oh, you are real. Oh, okay. Uh, up until this moment, you only existed on television. So this is very cool. And, um, you know, so when we got that call, um, you know, we were overjoyed. But it's it's really a different world, you know, with all the the security protocols and the things that you go through. And it's just, it's really amazing. It's just such a well-oiled machine. Um, you know, you're ushered from one room to another. This person can come here. This person can't come there. I remember probably the most telling thing was um, they said, so listen, we know we said we couldn't promise this, but you will have a personal audience with the president and the first lady now. Uh, so this is how it's going to go. Uh, he's going to come in. He's going to greet you all. He's going to sit down. He's going to take a picture. He's going to stand up. The chairs are going to move. You guys are going to, you know, then get uh, 45 seconds to perform for him. Oh, 45 seconds. So I said, guys, all right, let's um, let's do the Hamilton Hanukkah medley. Let's take it from the second song, uh, the chorus right there, and we'll just get it through to the end. And I'm thinking, okay, that's probably like a minute and five seconds. But, you know, who's who is counting? Okay. Uh, this is an intern uh, who is more like an executive, you know, director of a company. Says, um, "All right, show us what you're going to do." So, okay, so we, you know, we sit down and perform it, and then we finish. And she goes, "All right, that was great, but that was 48 seconds." So it's like, okay, wow, this uh, now there's a reason that um, you know the president is the, the safest and, and least accessible man on the planet. We we up the tempo a little bit. And our bravery will win us fame. Say your name. Judah, Judah Maccabee. They call me Judah, Judah Maccabee. Dunatioka says he's number one. But just you wait, just you wait. I am not throwing out in the pot. I am not throwing out in the pot. Hey, I'm straight, give spinning while y'all on the nation. And I'm not throwing out in the pot. Make the menorah hot. I see it is an old God presence. Cause gratitude for miracles is we did our 45 seconds and he just came in the room and you know what was really cool was um you know he was just struck up a conversation with him and uh, after a little while we just noticed there are a couple of stragglers who were being let into the room you know we're like who is that very very short woman over there and he goes you idiot that's ruth bader ginsburg so she she popped in you know in a, in a door in the corner so she's watching the performance a little bit and uh we think it was also uh sonia sotomayor and um uh, Justice Breyer as well. So, you know, just people like that just, ha- you know, they happen to pop right in. You know, you're in a, in a place like you've never been before. So that probably will go down as um, the craziest and most memorable experience of, of our lives, if not just, you know, our performance careers. Have you ever heard from any of the people whose music you've done parodies of, you know, for from the musical Hamilton or anything else? So um, we we have actually um, we we had the honor of um, when we did um, Uptown Passover, which um, in case you hadn't figured it out, is Uptown Funk by Bruno Mars. think set the record for most successful single of all time number one for 16 or 17 weeks something like that when we put that out um a couple of days later uh when passover arrived he actually um posted it on his own page and wrote happy passover hey, hey, oh! Stop. Say the 
And uh, we also received an email from uh, a NASA employee who says that um, he has worked with Brian May on several uh, launches and um, uh, heard from him and said uh, he was really impressed with it. And it was one of the the most uh, true-to-life uh, imitations of the song that he had heard. We do not have independent verification that this person actually knows Brian May, that he actually says that. But I choose to believe it, and I think that's all that matters. I think you should. I can't let you go without asking the question people are probably wondering about. The name 613 comes from? The Torah instructs us to do good deeds. These are called mitzvahs uh, in Hebrew. And um, not only does it instruct us to, you know, to do good for other people, but um, it gives us exactly what those good deeds are. Everything from, you know, looking out for your fellow human being to keeping the Sabbath in a number of different ways. And um, it's spelled out. uh, And there are 613 mitzvot in total. Um, So the number 613 um, is a bit of a, you know, um, an omen or a lucky number uh, for Jews. So there were six of us, um, you know, when we started, band names with numbers were all the rage. You had Blink-182 and Eve 6 and Matchbox 20, and I'm totally dating myself, but um, we decided that we were going to be 613. There are all kinds of guesses as to what that means. Um, a young lady in Leeds in the United Kingdom decided that uh, it was because there are six of us and nearly all of us are, are more than 13 years old, which is true. I like it. And you know what? It's like your belief about Brian May. If it makes her happy, that's fine. That's exactly right. Mike Boxer is a founder of 613. Mike, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you so much for having me. From CBS Audio, this is Ion Veterans. This is awesome. <laughs> There's the people here, the yeah. nature, the environment, everything. How could you be how could you be depressed and mad here, you know? I'm Navy veteran and journalist Phil Briggs, and every week I'll bring you stories of inspiration, motivation, and guests that salute our vets. I think that America is strong and resilient and that we will be better. Subscribe to Ion Veterans at radio.com, Spotify, and everywhere you get podcasts. The biggest names in politics. Whoa, that's news. We're all of the president's security advisors in full agreement. Face the questions you want answered. Are we at a tipping point? Can you walk the American people through what happens next? Margo, that's a great question. Good question. Are you saying you did not ever hear of such a deal? Face the Nation with Margaret Brennan. This episode is brought in part to you by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like James Patterson's first audio-only thriller, The Coldest Case. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. Have you ever covered a carpet stain with a rug? Ignored a leaky faucet? 
pretended your half-painted living room is supposed to look like that? Well, you're not alone. We've all got unfinished home projects, but there's an easier way. When you download Thumbtack, it's easier to care for your home from top to bottom. Pull out your phone and in just a few steps, you can search, chat, and book highly rated pros right in your neighborhood. Plus, you'll know what to tackle next, because Thumbtack is the app that shows you what to do, who to hire, and when. So say goodbye to all those unfinished home projects and say hello to caring for your home the easier way. Download Thumbtack and start a project today. This is the Holiday Special from the CBS Audio Network. I'm Gil Gross. One of the holidays celebrated this time of year is a relatively new holiday with old roots called Kwanzaa. It comes the day after Christmas and lasts through New Year's Day. And even though many Americans are now aware it exists, most still don't know what it's all about. To help us with that is Kelly Navies, an oral historian of the Smithsonian's National Museum of African American History and Culture. And Kelly, just as a reminder to people, how did Kwanzaa get started? Kwanzaa was developed in 1966 by Maulana Ron Karanga of the US organization. And of course, this is during the time of the Black Arts Movement, a very uh, intense political era in our history, Black power and such. And uh, a lot of arts and cultural um, activities were taking place to reconnect African-Americans to their heritage. And Kwanzaa was one of those that stuck, actually. And there are seven principles to it, and this is something unique. So can you tell us about those? Yes, there are seven principles, um, and these principles are drawn from practices throughout the continent of Africa. It's not as if um, he invented something that didn't um, exist before. He did research and found um, harvest festivals throughout the continent and different cultural practices and then pulled um, these principles from those practices. And they are umoja, which means unity. Kujichagulia, which means self-determination. Ujima, collective work and responsibility. Ujama, or some people say Ujama'a, cooperative economics. Nia, purpose. Kuumba, creativity. And Imani, faith. And I take it the reason why Swahili is used both for Kwanzaa and for the seven principles because Almost uniquely, this was an African language that was not unique to a single group, a single tribe. This is something where people don't believe one one particular group is chosen over another. Well, I think there are other languages that fit that description in Africa, but Swahili is one of the most widely spoken. And because the idea, yes, and because the idea was to uh, unify as many people as possible throughout the African diaspora, um, Swahili was chosen for that purpose. And this has really caught on. You know, every once in a while, people try to start things, maybe not quite similar to this, but try to start something new, and it just never really takes hold. Kwanzaa has. Why do you think that is? I think Kwanzaa has taken hold for a number of reasons. One, because it falls at a time of the year when we are already have our mindset on holidays and coming together with our families. But also, uh, another great thing about Kwanzaa is that it doesn't require a belief in any particular faith. So if you happen to come from a family that doesn't practice Christmas, you can practice Kwanzaa. So it unifies people of all faiths and even people who don't even have a particular faith at all. So I think that's one of the strong characteristics of Kwanzaa, great placing on the calendar. Um, It's also a time where you're kind of taking a breath after the momentum of Christmas and turning inward and connecting, reconnecting with your family and community in a a very authentic way, which I think... um, 
is supposed to be one of the purposes of Christmas, but many people have lost that. Yeah, as it's become more commercialized. But to make yes. clear, I know many people who celebrate Christmas and Kwanzaa. That's absolutely true. There are celebration feasts. I'm all about the food and to get people interested in different cultures and <laughs> different different, uh, different lifestyles and different uh, cultures. It's just, for many people, food is the way in. What are the celebration feasts like? Oh, the feasts are, I'm like you, one of the best features of Kwanzaa. And it depends on whether you're having a Kwanzaa in a, in a public atmosphere or private. The feasts can be really, really huge affairs if you have hundreds of people coming together and people bringing foods from all over the African diaspora. You might find curry chicken beside uh, fried chicken, for example, or peanut stew beside jambalaya. So there are a lot of different dishes that you might find. And uh, when you have a feast in your home, it will be on a smaller scale, but this the same ideas. You might pick one particular theme. I've known people to do an Ethiopian-themed Kwanzaa dinner feast, for example. So um, whatever, whatever, whatever form it takes, it's always good food. Yeah, and, and on a cold winter day, Ethiopian food could be just the thing, by the way. Yes, I agree. All right. Now, I know the museum is launching a digital resource guide to kind of, you know, help people with all of this. What's going to be in it? So I can give you a little taste. I mean, one thing we're going to do, of course, is introduce people to the idea of Kwanzaa, what it is, some of what we've been talking about here, the history behind it and just the basic seven principles and different symbols that are related to Kwanzaa. But also we're going to give suggestions um, for how a family, particularly during this time of COVID, when everybody might not be able to get together, how they might actually observe Kwanzaa. So um, we've developed um, a playlist that has music ranging from Still Pulse to Stevie Wonder to John Coltrane, for example, to begin to um, pass on musical traditions to the next generation and sort of immerse ourselves in the culture of the African diaspora. There's also going to be um, recommended readings, things that you might share with your family out loud and then discuss them as they relate to that day's principle. Kelly Navies is oral historian of the Smithsonian's National Museum of African American History and Culture. And Kelly, they go to the museum site if people want to get that digital resource guide. Yes, they come to our website. It won't be up until um, Kwanzaa, so look for that um, the day after Christmas when Kwanzaa begins. Okay. Kelly, thank you. Yes, thank you. You're listening to the Holiday Special from the CBS Audio Network. Welcome back to the Holiday Special from the CBS Audio Network. I'm Gil Gross. One of the joys of the holidays is sharing them with our pets. One of the less joyous things is finding an emergency veterinarian over the holidays when our pets eat the floral arrangement or when Uncle Sterling decides to share some food with them that one should never give to a pet. And so to make this season work for you and them, we have enlisted the services of Haley Berglund of DailyPaws.com. She has worked with, trained, and researched all sorts of animals, has two dogs and two cats herself, as well as a husband and daughter. But they can get their own food. They don't eat the plants. We don't really have to be concerned with them right now. Haley, good to have you with us. How are you? Good. Thank you so much for having me. Well, thank you for being here. And let's get right to it. Here's the question that always gets asked. What scraps from the holiday table should never go to your pets? Yeah, you know what? That is a great question. At Daily Paws, we get asked that quite a bit. And there's actually a long laundry list of food items that you really should never give your pets. Um, some really common ones that I think most people know is like chocolate, coffee, grapes, or raisins. Those are all very hazardous to our dogs and our cats. 
Um, but sometimes the more surprising things that pet owners often don't realize is things like uh, xylitol, which can be found in a lot of candies and gums and even in peanut butter. Some peanut butter brands have it. And that can be really detrimental to um, our dogs and our cats, as well as stuff like nuts or anything really citrus can really harm our kitties. Um, you know, and it's also just important to be aware that there's certain plants that can be very toxic. For instance, poinsettias, although they're beautiful, they're quite toxic to our pets. Um, and Christmas trees, you know, they're beautiful. They smell great. Your dog thinks they smell amazing. But those needles and things can unfortunately go up in noses. And if they get swallowed, those can cause some big problems, too. Well, as long as we're talking about the Christmas tree, you know, let's do that. Because one of the dangers is not just that they may eat parts of it, but uh, you have two cats. I have two cats. Sometimes yeah. at playtime, things get knocked over. Okay, sometimes <laughs> at playtime, everything gets knocked over. Yeah. And I've heard a lot of Christmas tree horror stories <laughs> from people. So what do we do to protect it? Yes, uh, I am experiencing this every Christmas for the last three years with one of my cats. She loves to climb my Christmas tree. Um, she's actually made it to the top quite a few times. It's quite the Olympic feat. But um, there's a few things that you can do that are really actually simple. Um, one thing for you know cat owners is to consider is just using a smaller Christmas tree. Um, getting a fake Christmas tree this year that's a little bit smaller of a size might be a little bit less enticing to a cat that really likes to climb high places um, you can also purchase really easily baby gates that you can put around the bottom of a Christmas tree. And really, you know, just management is a great way to approach it. If you just put that Christmas tree in a spot that your cat's not likely to jump from, from other furniture, um, you know, we don't want to see any flying squirrel kitties. And uh, making sure that, you know, if there's a couch near the tree or any kind of thing that kind of acts as a springboard, that that's nowhere near the Christmas tree. Um, but it, you can, you know what, it's really easy to go online, search for uh, Christmas tree gates. Those exist these days. Finally, I actually purchased one and they are perfect. You just put them around your tree and they can deter a lot of really interested kitties and dogs. Possibly not this year, though some families will celebrate as usual, but a lot of strange people over at the house and everything rearranged in the house because of guests coming and the holidays and all that can stress out some animals. Yes, yes. Having a lot of people in your home, you know, that um, maybe even if they're people that they've met before, but new people, it can be really stressful and overwhelming. You know, it comes with a lot of different sounds, different sights, all those kind of things um, can make, you know, any normally adjusted pet all of a sudden become anxious and super stressed out. You know, one of the things that I love to recommend for pet owners, especially when the house might be a little bit chaotic and you're looking for an activity for your dog or your cat to do alone in a safe spot in the house, is to look for those really good interactive toys. Um, you can search online, Amazon, Petco, PetSmart. They all have great options for finding toys that are just um, quote-unquote interactive or enrichment-based. Um, one of my favorites for my cats is called a Turbo Scratcher, which looks like a circular scratching post with a ball that runs around it and you can add catnip to it if you really want to get your kitty enticed. Um, treat mazes or treat filled toys are also amazing options for both dogs and cats. I think sometimes we forget that dogs um, love those things but so do cats too um, and treat dispensers. There's also some really good new tech items out there that you can use for your pets. 
um, that actually do some training and treat offering to your animal without you even being there. So that's definitely something to consider as well. But, you know, I often tell um, pet owners, you you don't have to do anything expensive. You don't have to get too elaborate. Hiding treats around the house and letting your dog go search for them is always a fun activity. Um, making little mazes out of couch cushions or old boxes that you're definitely going to have laying around after opening presents or hanging out with family. You can put treats, toys in those things and make them kind of a hide and seek game um, and just kind of get creative and be fun with it and, you know, enjoy the time with your pets. But know that keeping them entertained and active is always a good bet, especially during the holidays. You know, have have any pet behaviorists ever figured out why cats just object to things being put on tables and shelves? <laughs> I mean, there might be some uh, little bit of anecdotal research on that somewhere. But, um, you know, my, my personal experience, I have found um, that it's just they like to use their paws. They like to move things around. You know, there's kind of that innate instinct really to kind of investigate their environment with their feet. And if it's on a high ledge and they can get that thing moving, all the better. Even as it comes crashing down and it makes those beautiful sounds of broken, beautiful pottery. Um, you know, to them, that that was great fun. So that's probably the main reason. <laughs> it's, it's music to their little pointy ears. Are there any tech things for pets since tech is the thing for anybody? Is it, you know, is there a version yeah. of Halo for fish where they re- <laughs> when they respawn, they actually spawn? Right. Um, yeah, you know, there's some fun things out. Um, I have really been interested in, and I know a lot of my um, trainer friends really think um, there's a, 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 it's called the Pet Tutor. And um, it is a super neat um, technology-based opportunity for you to actually train your pet, give them opportunities for treats, reinforcement, um, that you just set it up and it kind of does it on its own at home. Um you know, there's a lot of things online where you can buy anymore where it, they're battery powered things, especially for cats. You can find really great battery powered mice that roam around on your ground. Um, you know, there's some things, too, that you can even hook up to your computer so you can have control over it, kind of like a little bit of electric cars, but more set up for pets. So there's kind of a lot of opportunities for it. But again, you know, you don't have to spend the big bucks. Um, you know, if your cat's like mine and he'll um, enjoy a sock that's laying on the floor, you know, more power to you. <laughs> absolutely. absolutely. And for entertaining them while there's people in the house and things, you put um, on your computer screen or on your TV screen, you go to YouTube, you find one yeah. of five million videos of birds and squirrels and yeah. things, and they're <laughs> fine. Yes, yes. My uh, cats actually really enjoy one. I think it was made by Nat Geo and it's literally birds eating at a bird feeder for about an hour and that um, entertains them all day long. Although I will caution pet owners, if your um, cats are like mine and they really get into it, they may start to scratch your TV screen, which is not a great holiday gift to have a a cat scratch across your plasma screen. (laughs) Haley Berglund is from dailypaws.com, and you can go there and find tons of information about your pets. Haley, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you, and have a happy holiday season. You're listening to the Holiday Special from the CBS Audio Network. Looking to instantly upgrade your Mother's Day gift from typical to meaningful? Shop Etsy. Get up to 30% off well-crafted and personalized gifts from participating shops until May 12th. 
This year, embrace your creative side. You know, the side your mom gave you? And shop Etsy for custom jewelry, style pieces, home decor, and extra special items she'll adore. Need something original and affordable for Mother's Day? Etsy has it. Shop until May 12th for up to 30% off gifts for mom. Terms apply. Every day, our world gets a little more connected, but a little further apart. But then... There are moments that remind us to be more human. Thank you for calling Amica Insurance. Hey, uh, I was just in an accident. Don't worry, we'll get you taken care of. At Amica, we understand that looking out for each other isn't new or groundbreaking. It's human. Amica, empathy is our best policy. Welcome back to the Holiday Special from the CBS Audio Network. I'm Gil Gross. This is an unusual holiday, as we all know. Back at Thanksgiving, most families were not able to gather together, and it's the same for this Christmas and New Year's season. It's also made celebrating different. Town squares have been decorated, but you don't see the same crowds, and parking places are strangely easy to get at the mall. And once you're inside the shopping center, you realize someone is missing. Santa who usually manages to put in an appearance not only at parades, but somewhere at some mall near you, isn't there. Which is just as well, because those liquidation sales aren't exactly the stuff of ho-ho-ho. But kids have found Santa online, where instead of zooming through the skies, he's just plain zooming. Here's Steve Hartman, who's usually on the road, but in this case, is on the sled. Twas three weeks before Christmas, and all through this house... Not a creature was stirring, except for this mouse, as Santa struggled to connect on Zoom. All right, here we go. Which is why the children heard him exclaim (laughs) as he came into sight. Can you hear me? Nothing. Can you hear me, TJ? Your call cannot be completed as dialed. Jumping jingle bells. It's a constant struggle to be a 2020 Santa Claus. And I make no secret that I don't know what I'm doing. Coronavirus has made Santa long for those simpler times of Polaroid poses and parting gift candy canes. Fortunately for Santa and his helpers across the nation, there are support groups. Am I unmuted? In these chats, technologically challenged elves help each other navigate their new normal. Click on those three little dots and save it to your computer. For Santa, Bob Jordan, who summers outside Boston, The transition from private parties to virtual visits has been an especially tough chimney to climb. He got Zoom for dummies, which helped. But one look around his workshop and you see what a jolly old analog elf he is. And yet, he got himself a webcam. And I get a boom microphone and a ring light. A ring light. Right? So that helps. It's very doable. It's going to happen. Christmas is coming. Because you know you're going to make somebody happy. And perhaps because of that unconditional love, a Christmas miracle happened. Are you getting excited for Christmas? Yeah. You are. Santa figured out Zoom. Hey. As have elves across the country. This is so cool. This month, they will do thousands of virtual visits. The real Santa. And although it's not the same as Santa's lap. I miss you, Santa Claus. In some ways, 
it's better. I miss you too so much, Dallas. Because if it's really the thought and effort that count. I love you so much. Santa has already given us his best gift of the season. Bye-bye now. Bye. Steve Hartman. Bye. On the road. Merry Christmas. At the North Pole. (laughs) And I heard him exclaim as he roved the website, Can some elf please help me? I can't get this thing right. You're listening to the Holiday Special from the CBS Audio Network. Survivor's back, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist, a new co-host, the winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares. Hi! Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts.